All right, if you guys will bring us into another awesome, wonderful Shabbat service. Hallelujah. Father, we delight in this day. We delight in your people, your word, your kingdom. We thank you for bringing us together. And Father, may you be magnified and glorified in all that we do and say today. We exalt you in Yahushua's name. We give thanks. Amen. Welcome everyone online. Welcome everybody here. We have an opening adoration that we declare together. They, the opening adoration is 85% from the Psalms of David. David being a man that knew how to pray, had a heart like the Father. So we love to exalt him that way and magnify him. You'll notice in the opening adoration and the songs that we sing, uh, his name is spelled out, Yode Vave. We want you to feel comfortable pronouncing that name however you feel convicted to say it. And the same would go for his son's name. So let's begin by exalting and magnifying the king. Blessed be he who spoke and the world came into being. Blessed be he. Blessed is he who maintains creation. Blessed is he who speaks and does. Blessed is he who decrees and fulfills. Blessed is he who has mercy on the earth. Blessed is he who has mercy on creatures. Blessed is he who gives goodly reward to those who fear him. Blessed is he who lives forever and endures to eternity. Blessed is he who redeems and rescues. Blessed is his name. Blessed are you, Yahweh our God, King of the universe, the God, the merciful Father, who is praised by the mouth of his people, praised and glorified by the tongues of devout ones and his servants. We shall laud you, Yahweh our God, with praises and songs. And now Psalm 100. A psalm for thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to Yahuwah all the earth. Serve Yahuwah with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that Yahuwah himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for Yahuwah is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. We say this in the name of our Master and King, Yeshua. Amen and Amen. We're going to be singing and worshiping, glorifying the King of Kings here in just a moment. Uh, but we're first, like Psalm 100 teaches us, we should enter His gates with thanksgiving. And by the way, I hope to have a new song set next week. I just keep forgetting to do the slides for the lyrics. But next week, we'll have some new songs of Gary's. Uh, that we'll be singing next week and some new, maybe different dance steps, whatever. Anyway, so that will be for next week, hopefully, Abba willing. So, But let's start out by giving thanks to the Almighty. We have lots to be thankful for, so let's give Him praise. Father, we come to You in Your Son, Your name. We thank You for watching over us, being the shepherd that You are. You have been keeping us free from harm and sickness, disease, all kinds of things. Father, You've been uh, healing us when we've asked for healing. You've been restoring us, Father. You've been giving counsel. You've been giving, uh, opening our eyes to truth and uh, discernment and wisdom. We thank you that your spirit is with us. You gave us the gift of your spirit, that you gave us the gift of eternal life through your son. We thank you for all the things, Father, that you're there for us. We thank you for this community, for this building. We thank you, Father, for the, the eyes that are being opened all over this earth to come to your truth. We thank you, Father, that people are, are, are realizing the need for repentance and coming to you with humble hearts, contrite spirits, that they are bending the knee and bowing and saying, God, I am sorry for the things that I've done to break covenant and faith with you. We thank you for these things. 
because you're doing what you said you would do in your promises and your oaths. We give you praise and glory for these things in your son Yahushua's name. Amen. Well, if you're going to worship and dance, if you would make your way out to this open area here, that would be great. Uh, we're going to worship and praise the Most High and uh, glorify His name and His kingdom. And I know they're going to switch to the slides, right? You're going to switch to the slides. So if you're going to worship and dance, come out here and let's glorify the King together. Amen? Shabbat Shalom.
winter's now, the winter's gate, then and now, give him praise, hallelujah, give him praise, hallelujah, give him praise, hallelujah, give him praise, hallelujah.
We delight in glorifying you, praising you, singing songs of praise to edify the King of Kings, the one who is Melchizedek over our lives, the King of Righteousness. We thank you that you are the one who was, who is, and is to come. You are the one who is our, all of our hope is laid upon. We thank you that we can trust in you because your promises are just and true. Your word never changes. You do not fail. Man does, but you do not. And we are thankful that we can rely on you, mighty one of Israel. We glorify you and praise you because you truly are the fire and the cloud that goes before us. We thank you, Father, for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy because you are merciful to us. Even in our wickedness, you open our eyes to you. You show us the way to everlasting life. Even when we don't deserve it, you are there for us. Thank you, Father, that you are that God for us. We praise you and magnify you. In your Son, Yahushua's name, amen and amen. So we want to enter into a very special time of our service. We want to invite everybody who has needs to come here to this area where they were dancing. We want to do what James 5 says. It says, is anyone among you sick? 
he must call for the elders of the assembly. They are to pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of Yahuwah. The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and Yahuwah will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, I know some of you are really burning up. We'll turn the AC on here in a minute. We'll help you out, so just bear with us. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Dave, do you need anything here? You hand this to Dave. So, of course, the men are going around and putting a top on everyone's forehead. We get this from Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4 and 6. And in Ezekiel chapter 9, uh, it says that the angel is told with the writing instrument to go throughout all of Israel. And he says, I want you to put a mark on everyone's forehead. Well, this word mark, when you look at it in Hebrew, it's actually the, the Hebrew letter tav. It says tav in this place where it says mark. And, of course, we know the Tav is the last letter of the Hebrew Aleph Bet, and it is uh, uh, written a lot like a door, and uh, it means the sign of the covenant. So imagine that, that God's placing the sign of the covenant on the people's forehead who are sighing and groaning over the wickedness as he is, so they have a heart like God. And uh, so we're, the key thing about James chapter 5 is that we are supposed to, when we're bringing our petition before the Most High, we're to cleanse our hearts, cleanse this house, so that everything that we submit to Him here goes up acceptable. He's pleasing to Him as a sweet aroma. And so the key here is repentance, something that is omitted in a lot of fellowships. But God doesn't forget. God asks for the repentant heart. So let's come before him, let's cleanse our hearts, and let's let our offerings be received and accepted. Father, we come to you in your son Yahushua's name. We admit that we've sinned, committed iniquity, we've transgressed before you. We walked our way and not your way, we broke the commandments. We walk contrary with you and you walk contrary with us, as you say in Leviticus chapter 26. But Father, we only have open shame. You are righteous in all that you've done concerning us. Father, we accept your offering of Messiah Yahushua on our behalf. We acknowledge the sins and iniquities and transgressions of our forefathers, as you've asked us to do. And we ask that you would cleanse us of all of our impurity and all of our uncleanness, which is what our Torah portion is pointing out today, by the blood of the Lamb. We ask this in your Son, Yahushua's name. Amen. Father Yahweh, we come before you and uh, lift up all the requests on people's hearts, Father. Father, whether it be matters of uh, health or uh, finances, uh, family, uh, relationships, Father, people who are seeking wisdom or knowledge into your word, into what things that, uh, decisions that may, may, might need being made, Father, we ask that you would, we would lift all these up to you, Father, and, and give all our uh, thoughts and all our praises, all our uh, concerns to you, Father. And uh, we thank you so much that you are a loving and kind Father who has sent your Son to die in our place and has sent your Spirit to give us guidance and direction throughout our, li our lives. And we thank you so much for all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.
Let me also say, Father, we lift up your people of Israel in the conflict. We, we pray for all on both sides, both Israel and the Palestinians that have lost lives and family and, and, and the loss of life. Father, we pray for all of those that you, they would somehow find you, that they would find a way to you, to find a way to everlasting life. That, Father, you would show them who you are, that people would repent of their sins and iniquities transgressions, and that, Father, that you would bring them and draw them close by the blood of the Lamb. We ask this in your Son, Yahushua's name, amen and amen. So we want to invite the children to come forward as the men are getting out the tallit and as everyone is making their way back to their seat. That's right. Yes, yes. And as uh, the children get underneath the tallit, we have a song to sing, Hine Matov. So let us sing. He named my total. that Abraham was called your friend because he would command his household in your ways. We pray, Father, that all the parents here would be able to teach their children, teach their children your ways. Uh, the children that are not present yet, that we don't see, but yet are on the way. The children in the box, whose names are in the box. Father, we thank you that the pattern has been set according to Scripture of what raising a child in righteousness looks like. We ask that you bless all those who lend their hearts to you and allow you to mold and shape their path and mold and shape them like clay. And we ask this in your son, Yehoshua's mighty name. Amen. Well, just so you know, I don't have the ability to adjust the thermostat like I normally do because of the technical difficulties we've had with the internet. So one of the men will have to, if it gets too warm, someone's going to have to go and make those adjustments for you. Um, but now we are going to sing another song. This song is called Osei Shalom, and it means may he who makes peace in his heights make peace upon us and upon all Israel. So let us sing this together. Osei Shalom. Thank you. 
to face Jerusalem and say the Shema together, first in Hebrew and then in English. Shema Israel. Master and King Yehushua, Amen and Amen. You may be seated. Tuesday night at the, are we skip, is Mike, is this Tuesday night, skip Tuesday night? 
Oh, okay. You want to talk about it right now? Or no? I'll send out a Zoom link for those that want to join uh, this Tuesday. We'll do a study uh, Pat suggested uh, on the covenant. We'll stick to that. We may jump into a few other things, but uh, we'll move in that direction of better understanding the blood and salt covenant. So, yeah. 7 p.m. Now, is that Tuesday. Zoom or is that going to be It'll here? It'll be Zoom. Yeah, not here. be seven o'clock from here on uh, I think it'll help those better for a later time so it's seven o'clock from here going forward on Tuesday night including when Mike comes back okay also on uh, Shabbat every Shabbat Ralphie does an in-depth study at 1.30 uh, and that is actually here so if you get a chance Ralphie should be back next Shabbat so we want to thank him for being able to do that. Uh, let's see. When do we have, we already mentioned Nathan James. So right now we want to give thanks to your um, uh, contributions. I'll pray for those online. And then we'll have Mark pray for those who have given today. Heavenly Father, Yahuwah, thank you so much for those who contribute who contribute to help support this ministry online. We thank you for their contributions. We ask that you bless them, that you keep them, and that your face would shine upon them. And we give thanks in Yehoshua's name. Amen. Father, we thank you for everybody that contributes, that gives, tithes, donates, um, brings their tithes as you've asked them into your storehouse. We thank you, Father, pour out an abundant blessing upon them because their hearts are moved to do as you've asked. And so, Father, it, it is a blessing to this ministry and, and uh, this congregation. So we give you praise and glory. Thank you for that. In Yahushua's name, amen. Amen. All right. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Would you all stand with me? I want to remind everybody that we are not all one with man's doctrine or opinion. Opinions and beliefs of some do not necessarily represent those of leadership. And let us say a blessing over the Torah. There is none like you among the Elohims, my master, and there is nothing like your works. Your kingdom is a kingdom spanning all eternities, and your dominion is throughout every generation. Yahuwah reigns. Yahuwah has reigned. Yahuwah shall reign for all eternity. Yahuwah will give might to his people. Yahuwah will bless his people with peace. Father of compassion, do good with Zion according to your will. Rebuild the walls of Yerushalayim, for we trust in you alone. O King, Elohim, exalted and uplifted, master of worlds. When the ark would travel, Moshe would say, Arise, Yahuwah, and let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee from you. For from Zion the Torah will come forth, and the word of Yahuwah from Yerushalayim. Blessed is he who gave the Torah to his people Israel in his holiness. Amen and amen. Let us sing the Etzhaim together. Etzhaim.
It is the tree of life to those that grasp it, and those who support it are blessed. Its ways are pleasant ways, and all of its paths are peace. Cause us to return to you, Yahweh, and we shall return. Renew our days as a whole. We say this in the name of our Master and King, Yeshua. Amen and Amen. You may be seated. We are in Bamidbar, Numbers chapter 19, 1 through 2013. And remember, we're on a triennial cycle here at Living Messiah, not the normal yearly cycle. We like the triennial because we get to take smaller bite-sized pieces out of the Torah instead of such big pieces. It allows us to dig in a little bit better, so uh, we've really enjoyed it. And Mr. Alfonso will take it from there. Bimidbar, Numbers chapter 19, 1 to 2013. And Yahuwah spoke to Moshe and to Eharon, saying, This is the law of the Torah which Yahuwah has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer, a perfect one, in which there is no blemish, and on which a yoke has never come. And you shall give it to Eleazar the Kohen, and he shall bring it outside the camp, and shall slaughter it before him. And Eleazar the Kohen shall take some of his blood with his finger, and sprinkle some of his blood seven times toward the front of the tent of appointment. And the heifer shall be burned before his eyes. He burns his hide and his flesh and his blood and his dung. And the Kohen shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet, and throw them into the midst of the fire, burning the heifer. The Kohen shall then wash his garments, and shall bathe his body in water, and afterward come into the camp. But the Kohen is unclean until evening. And he who is burning it washes his garments in water, and shall bathe his body in water, and is unclean until evening. And a clean man shall gather up the ashes of the heifer, and shall place them outside the camp in a clean place. And they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel, for the water for uncleanness, it is for cleansing from sin. And he who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his garments, and is unclean until evening. And it shall be a law forever to the children of Israel, and to the stranger who sojourns in their midst. He who touches the dead of any human being is unclean for seven days. He is to cleanse himself with the water on the third day, and on the seventh day he is clean. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third day, then on the seventh day he is not clean. Anyone who touches the dead of a human being and does not cleanse himself defiles the Mishkan of Yahweh, and that being shall be cut off from Israel. He is unclean, for the water for uncleanness was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanness is still upon him. This is the Torah. When a man dies in a tent, all who come into the tent and all who are in the tent are unclean for seven days. And every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. Anyone in the open field who touches someone slain by a sword or who has died or a bone of a man or a grave is unclean for seven days. And for the unclean being, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for cleansing from sin and running water shall be put on them in a vessel. And a clean man shall take hyssop and dip it in the water and shall sprinkle it on the tent and all the vessels and on the beings who were there or on the one who touched a bone or the slain, or the dead, or a grave. Eighteen. 
And a clean man shall take hyssop and dip it in the water and shall sprinkle it on the tent and on all the vessels and on the beings who are there or on the one who touched the bone or the slain or the dead or a grave. And the clean one shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. And on the seventh day he shall cleanse himself and shall wash his garments and bathe in water and shall be clean in the evening. But the man who is unclean and does not cleanse himself, that being shall be cut off from among the assembly because he has defiled the mikdash of Yahweh. Water for uncleanness has not been sprinkled on him. He is unclean and it shall be a law for them forever. And the one who sprinkles the water for uncleanness washes his garments. And the one who touches the water for uncleanness is unclean until evening. And whatever the unclean being touches is unclean. And the being who touches it is unclean until evening. And the children of Israel, all the congregation, came into the wilderness of sin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled against Moshe and against Eharon. And the people contended with Moshe and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brothers died before Yahweh. Why have you brought up the assembly of Yahweh to this wilderness, that we and our livestock should die here? And why have you brought us up out of Mitzrayim to bring us to this evil place, not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink? Then Moshe and Eharon went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tent of appointment, and they fell on their faces. And the steam of Yahweh appeared to them. And Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, Take the rod and assemble the congregation, you and your brother Eharon, and you shall speak to the rock before their eyes, and it shall give its water. And you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their livestock. And Moshe took the rod from before Yahweh as he commanded him. And Moshe and Eharon assembled the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moshe lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and much water came out, and the congregation and their livestock drank. But Yahweh spoke to Moshe and to Eharon, Because you did not believe me to kadosh me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you do not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. These were the waters of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with Yahweh, and he was kadosh among them. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Open our eyes, open our ears, and most importantly, open our hearts that we might understand, we might be changed by your words, that, Father, we might be made into the holy assembly, just as these waters sprinkled upon those who had death upon them. You have brought your son, Messiah Yahushua, that we might have that water, as you said in Ezekiel 37, the sprinkling of the clean water. We give you praise and glory for you are the one that sanctifies your community. We give you thanks in Yahushua's name. Amen. All right. So as I've said, we're at uh, Numbers 19, 1 through 2013. I want to welcome everyone online that's joining us. Welcome everybody here. Welcome to our guests. If you're first time here, we're so thankful that you're here visiting and fellowshipping with us. And so we're going to talk today about, of course, uh, there's, there's so much in this portion about faith and doing, we talked about it in uh, the in-depth study, uh, Paul really touched on this idea of the keys to the kingdom and 
Are we a people that believe in what he says? Are we a people that trust in his words and his promises? Are we a people that are going to walk it out? And we're going to see in our portion today that Abraham has an issue here because God tells him to do something and he doesn't quite do it the way God does. Something rises up in him. He's upset about the community and he doesn't quite deliver it the way God asked him to deliver it. And God calls it not treating him holy because God's... uh, Abraham's a or Moses is a representative here of the Most High. And so very, very interesting. So we've got that. We've got some things about our prophet portion that point to um, Jephthah and what he was dealing with in Judges 11. So that's where we're going to go. The first part I'm going to go to is our New Testament portion. And I'm only going to reiterate a little bit because I our New Testament portion is talking about Mary and Mary comes and finds the tomb empty, the stone rolled away on the first day of the week. I'm going to share with you again my opinion of what first day of the week is being addressed here. And again, I could be wrong. I'm going to present to you what I've seen in Scripture and what my studies are, uh, but I want you to bear with me on this as we look at it for just a a moment. So John 20, verse 1 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So now we would gather from this if it's early on the first day of a week uh, while it's still dark, since we believe that, that the day begins at sundown. Uh, it's somewhere between sundown and sunrise. It's still dark, right? So the question now is, which day was it uh, in, in mo- let me just say me, m- most of my walk in this for 17, 18 years has been based on this understanding. So if we were to look at the Gregorian Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, just for reference, uh, the blue is what would be preparation day because the purple is a Shabbat day. It's a day that is unleavened bread, and then we have the Shabbat on uh, the seventh day of the week, and most people would say, okay, it's the first day of the regular week he's risen, which would be the yellow block, okay? And so you get your three days based on um, him dying on Wednesday, and then you've got one day is completed on Thursday, two days are completed on Friday, the third day is completed on Saturday evening as the sun sets. But I pointed out before that in Hebrew thought, it doesn't, and I've got references, if I didn't put them up today, I put them up in previous teachings on this, that it what didn't always mean three complete 24-hour segments. It only meant it could be partial of one day and partial of another. So in other words, it could be three hours on one day, full day on another, and two hours on the third day, and still be com- con- considered three days, okay? This is, like, I, if you need them, email me or text me, and I'll give you the references. It's very established, okay? So I'm going to show you what I think from a Hebrew perspective. Are they thinking about the first day of a regular week? Is that what's important to them? Or are they considering what's more important would be the first day of a holy week? So in this example, you have the death on Wednesday. Um, unleavened, so death on Wednesday is 
partial of one day. You've got day two on this Thursday, and then you've got day three on Friday, which is why it's yellow. Your two Shabbats are unleavened bread and the weekly Shabbat, but you have this day of, in the yellow, the first day of the Omer week. And in the Hebrew mind, it's the first day of a week. Remember, each week of the Omer is seven days. And so they count it from when the Omer starts, not from Sunday. The Omer starts on a Tuesday. The Omer is from Tuesday to that next Monday. That's the week of the Omer, first week of the Omer. And there's seven of those. So in their mindset, are they thinking, since it's a holy week that all this is happening, are they thinking more of the first day of the regular week? Or would their mind be wrapped around the first day of the things of God's kingdom? And if you look at it, just let me ask you this question. If it was based on this example, Mary and them know that he's died on Wednesday. They put him in the tomb. They can't come to see him on Thursday because it's the holy day of unleavened bread. They can't go. So she can go on Friday on this example. So why does she go on Friday? Why does she wait until Sunday morning? I get it that she didn't go on Saturday because it's Shabbat. She waited until Sunday. But why didn't she go on Friday? Because it's not a day that would prevent her from going to find out if the master's still okay and in there. But in this example, she has to wait until the Shabbat is over. She has to wait until Friday because Friday is the first day that she can come and see him. doesn't have to wait until Sunday morning. She can go on Friday. And this example works. It fits. And so I'm just presenting to you another way of looking at it that it doesn't necessarily have to be the first day of the regular week. It very well could have been that she came on the first day of the Omer week. And I pointed out once before that in the Septuagint, it says that she came on the day after the first. Well, on this example here, if she came on Sunday, Saturday's not the first. It's the seventh. But in this example, if she came on Friday, she did come after the first because unleavened bread is the first day of that week. She did come after the first. And it's after Shabbat. So anyway, I want to present that to you. You can look at it online if you want a better example. If you have questions about it, send me comments or thoughts, and I'll be glad to share it with you. Our Torah portion in Numbers 19 starts out in verse 2. It says, These are the, this is the decree of the Torah, and I'm reading from the Targum, that Yahweh has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and tell them, Take for yourself a red cow, healthy without blemish, on which no yoke has ever gone up. And I'm going to present to you today that this is likened unto Yeshua because Yeshua had no other yoke. There's no other government. There's no other kingdom. There's no other uh, way of life that has been, no other yoke has been on him. Just like the heifer, no yoke of work has been put on the, a heifer. It's likened unto no other doctrine had been put on Yeshua. No other yoke. Because he says, my yoke is easy, referencing his way of life, his, his Torah. So there is no other yoke 
no other way of life, no other doctrine that had been put on Yeshua. So he's like the red heifer. No yoke of work had been put on this heifer. You shall give it to Eleazar the priest, and he shall bring it outside the camp and slaughter it before him. I want to remind you uh, that in verse 6, it says, The priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet dyed cloth and shall throw them in the midst of the burning of the cow. So this is taking place, if you notice, in the distance here is Jerusalem. In the distance is Jerusalem, in the white city in the background. You can see my arrows pointing that this structure that they're standing on here, the priests are on, is the Mount of Olives. And they have cedar wood piled up. The priest has scarlet in one hand, hyssop in the other. And all of this is for when this heifer burns, they're going to take the ashes of this heifer and they're going to use it for the cleansing of those who have been defiled by what? Death. Because they've come in contact with death. What's interesting is that these three items are used for the cleansing of the leper as well. Because the leper has death on his flesh. His, his skin is dying. There's death on him. He's been contaminated with death. Yeshua, who's likened unto this red heifer, who dies in this spot on Mount Olives, who has cedar, hyssop, and scarlet present at the stake when he dies, is that cleansing water that comes to take death away from all of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Just coincidence, right? You've got all these things represented that take away the defilement of death. And Yeshua, which the rabbis have had a hard time understanding this whole red effort thing, is who Yeshua is. He's the one, he's the purific, purification that takes away that defilement of death, that contamination of death. How many of you glad that you've been sprinkled by the water of the living word? Praise be to his name. And by the way, it is sprinkled before the tent seven times. Now, Yeshua was beaten over in the temple area more than seven times, but you had a, I mean, tears, there's water coming out of him, there's blood coming out of him. All this is happening before the tent, before the tabernacle, before the temple. Yes. Before you go too much farther, can I go back just a little bit Yeah. on something that um, I'm thinking about? So going back to the Torah portion that was read, mm -hmm. they, we just, in, in Numbers 19, we just have the protocol for when you touch a dead body or care for a dead body, mm -hmm. this is what you're to do, which requires water. Then we go into Numbers 20, where it talks about Miriam has died, and they have no water to drink. So it almost seems like not only do they not have water in in Hebraic protocol, to care for a dead body requires water is involved. So it almost appears that it's also telling us that there's no water to bury our dead. There's no, is there water to purify the tent of meetings? Because there was protocol in 19 on how to purify um, the tent and what's to be done. And if they don't even have water to drink, how is there water to 
go through the protocol that they were just given. Yep. Okay. So in that, it also makes me think about uh, the woman who discovered, uh, that went to the tomb when uh, Messiah was laid to rest. If she was part of the team of um, people who cared for the preparation of his body to be laid to rest, she would have been unclean because uh, we just read the protocol is on the third day. If you have uh, been in contact with a dead body or cared for a dead body on the third day, you are to purify yourself and then again on the seventh day. So it's possible on this third day that the reason, because she would have been unclean from participating in group activity, let's say, but on this third day, she may have been going to a mikvah or going to do a purification as part of the protocol because she had cared for the master's body and in doing so went by the tomb and discovered, uh, you know, that the stone had been rolled away. I'm just kind of thinking there might be a correlation to all of these things, which goes back to the protocol of caring for a dead body. Amen. If you have questions or comments, raise your hand. The mic will make its way to you. Verse 9. Now, a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the red heifer and deposit them outside the camp in a clean place. The congregation of the sons of Israel shall keep it as a water to remove impurity. It is purification. The Greek word is hagios. This word hagios means to sanctify, to make holy, to cleanse, to purify. Hebrews Using the same word, we find the same word used in Hebrews 12, 24, and Yehushua, the mediator of a new covenant, and to sprinkle the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. 1 Peter 1, 2, according to the foreknowledge of Elohim the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Yehushua Messiah, and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and be peace be yours in the fullest measure. Again, 1 Peter 1, 22, since you have in obedience to the truth purified, this purification, this sprinkling of your souls for the sincere love of the brethren. And the same word used in James 4, it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Hagios, hagios means this sanctify. What is it that you can't just use anything to sanctify? The sanctification has to come from something that's been designated that which purifies. And as God's, uh, as Yahushua says to the Father in James uh, 17, I think it is, purif- sanctify them in your truth. Your word is the truth, being sanctified. So Yeshua, being like that, that red heifer, he's the sanctifying thing that brings, the word is always that that brings that sanctification and cleanses us. The washing what? Of the word. The cleansing of that word to wash us clean, purify us. The root word of this hagios is found in Exodus 13, 19, and Leviticus 14. All of them talking about sanctifying. Make a holy nation. You're becoming a holy people because you've been sprinkled by Yahushua, the water and the blood. Both of them. It's both the water and the blood. He will cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and with the running water, along with the live bird and the cedar wood and the hyssop, and with the scarlet string. Sanctification comes by a way. Not, man can't choose how they want to do it. Oh, it's the way I want to be sanctified. No, it's how God says it needs to be done. 
He's the one that decides how that sanctification comes. Verse 11, One who touches the corpse of any human being shall be unclean for seven days. He shall sprinkle himself on the third day and on the seventh day, and then he shall be clean. But if he does not sprinkle himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he shall not be clean. Anyone who touches the corpse of a person who dies and does not sprinkle himself has defiled the tabernacle of Yahuwah. And that person shall be destroyed from Israel because the waters of sprinkling, the living waters, he says, partake of the living water, were not sprinkled over him. He shall be unclean. His uncleanness is still on him. Verse 14, this is the Torah concerning a man who dies in a tent. All who enter the tent and everything in the tent will be unclean three days. No, seven. And every open clay vessel, everyone who in an open field touches anyone who is slain by the sword or dead of natural causes. If you touch a human bone or a grave, unclean seven days. That's right. So if you're in a cemetery and you walk over a grave and your feet touch it, what does that tell you? You're unclean seven days. It's not my terms of sanctification. It's not my terms of holiness. It's His. And we either want to be a people that adhere to the terms of the Creator and the King, or we don't. We either take it seriously or we don't. And some people wonder why the Most High can't visit them because they're in an unclean state. Why doesn't He hear me? Why doesn't He visit me? Why because he can't approach you. You're in an unclean state. So Yeshua fulfills this upon us. The one clean shall take some of the dust from the burning of the purification offering, shall put it in spring water in a vessel. And a clean man shall take the hyssop, dip it into the water, and shall sprinkle it on that tent, on that vessel, and on the person who were there. And on the one who touches a bone or a slain person, person who is dead of natural causes or a grave. So Yeshua fulfills this peace for us. He's the, he is the sprinkling water. And I want to remind you what Ezekiel, uh, Paul read it. Paul, you want to read it again? Your Ezekiel 37. What does God sprinkle on us? Ezekiel 37 tells us that he's going to sprinkle something on us. And we talked about it in his study. Is, is this, when he reads it, ask yourself, is it conditional? Is it something that we must do to get the sprinkling? Because when I read it, I don't read anything about it's incumbent upon us to do anything. God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. He's the one that's bearing the responsibility of doing this for his people. Did we do anything to merit the, the, the Messiah coming and dying on the stake? No. How many times does he say, don't think that it's because of your righteousness that I'm doing these things? Not because of your goodness. Not because you've come to Torah. Paul. That's Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, uh, in verse 21, it says, 
but I had compassion on my set-apart name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the master, Yahuwah, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for the sake of my set-apart name, mm. which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I shall set apart my great name, which has been profaned among <laughs> the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am Yahuwah, or yod declares Master Yahuwah. When I am set apart in the eyes before them, I shall take you from among the nations and shall gather you out of all lands, and I shall bring you into your own land, and I shall sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be cleaned from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I cleanse you. You know what's interesting about that? The filthiness and the idols, what does idolatry bring to a person? What's the sentence? Death. So the sprinkling here has to be something that removes death, just like what's happening with the ashes of the red heifer and just like what's happening with the death of Yeshua because it's clear that when he died, it says what was nailed to the cross was sin and death because he's the one that cleanses and removes the death from his people. Boy, it's good stuff. I want to take us, I didn't put a note for myself, but I'm pretty sure that we are going to our prophet portion here, I think. Let me see. Where are we not? Verse 16. Oh, no. This is what you read, isn't it? Is this Ezekiel 36, 16 through 22? Yeah, it is. I didn't put the address on here, but yeah, this is what you read out of 36, 16 through 22, is it not? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay, you went back further than I have on here. Okay. It's okay. All right, I just want to be sure what this address was because I failed to put it on. Polly. So I want to go back to the tour portion again, numbers, I think this is, yeah, 19. So it talks about the sprinkling of a special water, mm -hmm. that it's a set-apart water. It's not just any water, and right. it talks about a sprinkling of this water. So I think we might get into touching on this a little bit on Tuesday because it has to do with the salt covenant. It's a usually a set-apart water is a salt water because salt is a representative of the blood, and it's the blood that cleanses the, the life that's in yes. the blood yes. that cleanses the death, that's why it has to be, it, it's called a special water because it's a salt water. In fact, um, if you were ever a part of Catholicism, you had to you know, have the holy water, you know, as part of the protocol, that's a salt water. And it's because salt is a representative of blood or life. Amen. Well said. Uh, this is going on in Ezekiel 36, what he read. In verse 19, And the person that's clean shall sprinkle on the unclean person on the third day and on the seventh day. I just want to remind you, I, I had, this hit me, and I had to go back into the history of the Shemitah cycle, the Jubilee cycle. 
And wouldn't you find it's interesting that when Abraham is taken out of the Ur and brought to the land of Israel, God chooses a people for himself. This is the third millennium. It's the third day. And so it's like God is taking Abram, the first of the people that he's chosen, and he's sprinkling him on the third day. And we're waiting for the seventh day, the seventh millennium, when God's going to gather all of the sons of that man, all of the sons of Abraham, and sprinkle them on that last day, on that seventh day, to complete this cycle of purifying and sprinkling the third and the seventh day. I find that interesting. Coincidental? You might say, but I think God works in these patterns for a reason because it has to be, it has to be. And the adversary knows it. God's going to work this way because it's what he's decreed from the beginning. So a person who becomes unclean but is not purified, he's going to be destroyed from the midst of the congregation because he defiled the sanctuary. The waters of sprinkling were not sprinkled over him. And so then Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, take the staff. Now, we get into this faith thing that I wanted to get into. He says, take the staff, gather the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, speak to the rock and before their eyes and it will give its water, but you will bring out water for them from the rock and you will give water to the congregation and their livestock. This is the word. This is, as Paul was talking about, this is what was spoken and when we hear the, the living words of God, whether it's live at the moment as he's hearing it or we're reading it in text, we have the choice of either believing in what that said or not. What sets it apart is, do we walk it out as it's said? So he's told what? Is he told to hit it? Is he told to strike the rock? No. He's told to speak to it. Now Moses, you've got to remember, he's just like us. He's flesh and blood, and he's upset with the congregation. He's been dealing with a lot of stuff. Been dealing with a lot of murmuring and griping and complaining. Most of it, well, I'd say all of it, directed at him. He's bearing a lot of weight of murmuring and complaining. I don't know about you, but... The old flesh and blood, it doesn't take much to get that boiling to like, what in the world? I, am, I have had it with this. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to speak up. And I'm just going to tell a piece of my mind. But you know what? As my brother Gary pointed out earlier during our conversation, he said, there's much required of us. Much has been given to us. Much is required. Yes. This is one of those passages that is very confusing <laughs> because it doesn't follow a pattern and rabbis have debated and discussed this because in chapter 20, verse 1, it says, and Miriam died and was buried. Yeah. <laughs> Gone. You don't hear about a period of mourning. So here is Moshe. I'm going to play the empathy part for Moshe and Aharon his sister, whose name is always associated with water. She placed them in water. When they came through the water, she's the one that led the songs. 
So with the name associated with water and everything associated with water, and then she dies, first thing that people do is complain about water. Now there are some Hebraic nuances there that I can't even get into because it can lead on a rabbit trail from where you're going, but that's interesting that now you don't hear about the mourning cycle or the mourning period because when Aharon died, it's 30 days. Moshe died and anybody died, there was a mourning period. Yeah. And now they're complaining about water. So was he upset over them and everything and now he's going to... And, and, and complaining about water during this whole thing about the, the, the purification water... And I was talking to John Marsing over at the property this morning, and he pointed out that, it's a good point, that why is this red heifer scenario, the, the, this purification coming up just before they're ready to cross over? Just before they're about ready. I mean, they've been, he pointed out, 38 years now wondering, they're about ready to cross over. Why does God bring up the purification? Is it because... Just like he says, before you cross over, you must be circumcised. And before you cross over, I must deal with the death that's in the camp. And I must sprinkle you and cleanse and get rid of all the defilement. You're about to come into my holy land. You're about to come into the inheritance. You're, you're a people that's set apart. And I must cleanse you before you come in. Very interesting. Very interesting things to ponder. Appreciate John bringing that up. So Moshe took the staff from before Yahweh, just as he commanded him. He gathers the congregation, and he goes, this is my time. This is my point. He takes his stick, and he says, I'm going to hit this thing good. Not once. I'm going to hit it twice to show my anger. I'm upset. I'm going to hit it hard. i take my anger out on this rock. The key thing is, can we maintain our flesh even when it looks like we might get justification, even when it makes it look like I've got a, this is a great place to, to point out their, their, their problems, a great place. I'm going to use what God is saying to now put in what I want to say. No. This is what God told you to do and do what he said. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. This is what he wants. This is what he's asking for. So he says, Here now, you rebellious ones that have been sticking the knife in my side all these 38 years. You people that have been mumbling and groaning and, and Lashon Hurrah running around the congregation, creating all kinds of issues and problems. Shall we make water come out of this rock for you? You don't deserve it. So he lifts up his hands and he hits the rock two times. Of course, water does come, but it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. Now, you know, the interesting thing is, I'm gonna, we're going to get to this later in this message, is that just because the people of God are rebellious, because they are walking in wickedness, because corruption is there, doesn't mean God's not going to do what he said. Water's still going to come in spite of 
wickedness, corruption, and all this. And I want to tell you, I'm glad, and I said this in the in-depth, or in the in-depth study, I'm glad that as merciful as God is, as gracious He is, came to me in my sin and my wickedness and revealed to me His truth. He didn't wait for me to become righteous to and deserve it. He brought it to me even though I was in sin and wickedness, undeserving of any of it. He didn't wait for a, a generation to be righteous enough to receive Yeshua. He brought it in the midst of corruption. Doesn't mean everyone was corrupt, but in the midst of corruption. Corruption's always been there. Wickedness has always been there. But let's not forget, there's also remnants that have righteousness in them. Yes. All right, so to go along with what you just said and those things that Moses went through, yeah, he was called in his wickedness because where was Moses, right? He had to flee, and then the father started to deal with him, right? So um, to go back to what you were saying, though, it says in uh, Matthew 23 and 12, and whosoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever <laughs> humbles himself shall be exalted. Ooh. So Moses, he didn't humble himself, which cost him greatly. Even Satan brought his back up when his body came like, hey, can I take him? Because he went against you, God. Yep. So we have to humble ourselves as dear children, like yep. his scriptures right. tell us to, yep. so we don't exalt ourselves and get humbled by him <laughs> and end up in, on the wrong side of the courtroom. Yep. Can I take him? I'm not trying to be taken by Satan. There's consequences no even for a righteous man such as Moses. Consequences for not doing as the Most High said. Here's what the Targum says in verse 11. Moses lifted his hand and smote the rock with his staff two times. At the first time, it flowed with blood on the first strike. And on the second strike, water came out. I find that interesting because 1 John 5, 8 says the spirit and the water and the blood, these three are in agreement. Water and blood. Very interesting. Kind of very puzzled, but also interesting at the Targum's take on this. Two different strikes. Blood and water. Very interesting. Yes. They pierced Yeshua when he was hung on the torture stake. When they pierced him with the spear, blood and water flowed out of him. That's right. Amen. Okay. Then Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in my memra, because you did not believe in my word, here's faith and belief going on here. Did they believe? They didn't. He's saying they didn't. You did not believe. You did not have faith in my memra, my word. You might as well say Yeshua, because Yeshua and the word are the same. You did not believe in Yeshua here. To sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore I'm not going to bring this congregation into the land or you're not going to bring this congregation to the land that I've given them. They are the waters of quarreling, what it's called in the Targum, the waters of quarreling, because the children of Israel quarreled before Yahuwah, though he was made holy among them in the midst of their quarreling. Man, I'm going to tell you something. We cannot be a congregation that quarrels, because this is the stuff that we're learning about that what happens when a congregation quarrels, whether it's over doctrine or scripture or whatever it is. 
You know, like we always say, the people in other countries, they quarrel over the names. They quarrel over Zitzit. They, they pick these things to quarrel over. It's not healthy. It's not good. We're going to transition into our profit portion. And our profit portion is about our guy named Jephthah. You remember him? Judges chapter 11. And I want to show you that if you were to take, and I want to preface this first because there's going to be a, there's going to be a land dispute going on with the Ammonites and Jephthah. It'll be a land dispute. Imagine that, land dispute. And they're going to be complaining that, hey, you guys took our land from us and we want it back. Okay? But if you were to take the land that was promised to Abraham, and I put here what the tribes of Israel look like today, or, or in, your, in Moses' and uh, Joshua's day, uh, the tribes of Israel are the ones in color here. But check this out. Genesis 12, 7, God promises Abraham, who had just arrived in Canaan, to your offspring, I will give this land. Later in Genesis 15, 18, God expands on that unconditional promise. To your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river Euphrates. That's from the one point of the arrow to the other. Well, man, that encompasses a lot more than what Israel has today and even in the day of Joshua. It's a big area. From the river of the Nile to the river Euphrates. I mean, you can see it. I mean, this is exactly the scope of that land spread, right? We know it has to be on the east side of the Jordan because he told them when they were walking on the east side of the Jordan all through Saudi Arabia, he says, everywhere your souls touch is going to be given to you. They found stones over in Saudi Arabia that had the children of Israel's footprint on stones to prove we've been here. So I just wanted to show you what, I mean, at the time of Jephthah, we're only talking about the piece in yellow, number two. That's what's being disputed, but God told Abraham, it's all this area that you see here from the river of the Nile to the river of Euphrates is what God said is going to be your people's. So let's read. Now, Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a valiant warrior, but he was the son of a harlot. Son of a harlot. Now, this is in the time of the judges, as you can see by the, 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 the chapter or the book. And let me tell you, in the time of the judges, just like in other epics of time in Israel, there's wickedness going on. There's unrighteousness going on. There's even rulers like Samson who were not leading the people righteously. There's, there's corruption in leadership. There's corruption in the people. Does that mean God has abandoned them? We're going to find out whether he abandons them or not, even in the midst of corruption, even in the midst of wickedness. And Gilead was the father of Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in your father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tov, which means good. And worthless fellows gathered themselves about Jephthah. And they went out with him. Worthless, ungodly people gathered to him. 
And it came about after a while that the sons of Ammon fought against Israel. When the sons of Ammon fought against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tov. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our chief that we might fight against the sons of Ammon. Then Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me out from my father's house? So why have you come to me now when you're, when you're in trouble? Why are you coming to me now? They must have known he was a valiant warrior, someone that was good at fighting, had already proven it somehow, right? Then the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, Well, now we turn to you, so go with us and wage war with the children of Ammon, and you shall be for a head over us, over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me back to wage war against the children of Ammon, and Yahweh hands them over before me, I will be for you a head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, May the memory of Yahweh be a witness between us. We will do according to your word. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people appointed him over them for a head and a leader. So Jephthah arranged all of his words before Yahuwah at Mizbah. He's arranging his words before the Almighty, before everybody, before the congregation. Let's make an agreement. Let's make a covenant. Let's make a pact. And it's before the Almighty, and he will judge if you go against these terms. And Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the children of Ammon, saying, What is there between me and you that you have come to wage war in my land? Then the king of the children of Ammon said to the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took my land when they came up from Egypt, from the, from the Arnon to the Jabbok and up to the Jordan, so now return them to us in peace. They took our property. Give it back. So Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the children of Ammon, and he said to them, Thus says Jephthah of Israel, Israel did not take the land of Moab, nor the land of the children of Ammon. We didn't do that. And he goes on to explain how the nation of Israel came to the location of the Arnon River. When they're coming up, they came to the Arnon River, and I'm going to show you where the Arnon River is. So you can see that the Moabites... And Edom is on the south part of Reuben. And Ammon is here up here next to Gad. Gad is where Gilead is. And Ammon, you can see that Gad took land that was Ammon, the, the land of the Ammonites. But the, the Arnon, you can see, is what separates Moab and Reuben, the Arnon River. And that was the border. Watch what he says. I need to give you a, a, a little bit of a location so you can see what's going on in this little land dispute by the way even the land of ammon that's over on the far right of gilead is that still within the territory of what god told abraham would be his is it in the boundaries between the euphrates and the nile it sure is as my mom would say show enough You're going to like this. Then when they went into the wilderness and went around the land of Edom and the land of Moab, they came from the east of the land of Moab, dwelt on the other side of the Arnon, but did not enter the border of Moab. They came up around Moab and came in through the river of Arnon, for Arnon was the border of Moab. Then Israel sent messengers to Sion, the king of the Amorites. 
the king of Heshbon. So Israel said to him, Now let us pass over your land by my play, to my place. And Sion did not trust Israel to pass over his border. So he, Sion gathered all his people, and they dwelt in Yahaz and waged war with Israel. Now watch this. Then Yahuwah, Elohim of Israel, handed over Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they smote them, and Israel possessed all the land of the Amorite who was inhabiting the land. Why did God give them the land? They wanted to cross through in peace. The problem is, is the Amorite said, I'm going to come and I'm going to wage war against you, and I'm going to try to defeat you even though you want to pass through in peace. It's when a nation comes up against God's people and says, I'm going to come in and I'm going to slaughter you people. Even though you want to live in peace, I'm going to come in and I'm going to wage war against you. And God says, when that happens, I'm stepping in. You're going to see that here in a second. Then Yahweh, the God of Israel, handed him over. Verse 22, Then Israel possessed all the land of the Amorite, from the Arnon to the Jabbok, and from the wilderness of the, to the Jordan. And now Yahuwah Elohim of Israel drove out the Amorite from before his people, Israel. That's why he said, we didn't do it. The Most High, the real God, the, 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 the King who lives forever, he does it, and you imagine that you will possess it? You're thinking that you're going to possess that which the King of heaven and earth has, have, has given? Do you not possess what Chemosh, your idol, gives you? And all that Yahuwah Elohim will drive out from before us, we possess? In other words, don't you possess what your God gave you? We're possessing what our God gave us through battle. Let the waging of war decide what God gives them and what God doesn't. That's what he's saying. We only have this land because God drove you out and gave it to us. You have all that land over there because you drove out those people and your God gave you that. And now you are better than Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab. Did he indeed quarrel with Israel? Here's that quarrel word. Or wage war with them while Israel had dwelt in Hezbon and his villages and all the cities that are over the borders of the Arnon? For 300 years, why did you not deliver them at that time? In other words, since the time that we came in and defeated you, until this time, 300 years have elapsed. Why haven't you said anything in this period of time of 300 years? Why are you coming up now? God gave us this through battle, defeating you 300 years ago. Why are you bringing it up now and trying to take it? Do you see what he's saying? Why didn't you come in and try to take it by force over the last 300 years? Why now? So I have not done any wrong against you, but you have done evil with me to wage war against me. That's the problem. You're deciding to wage war against me. That's the issue. And may Yahweh, who makes judgment, judge today between the children of Israel. I'm going to tell you something. When those kinds of words come out of people's mouth and they're declaring God to be the sovereign king, and they say, may God Almighty judge between me and you today as you try to make war with me, He'll decide who's the victor today. That's coming from the lips of a man who has faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who knows that as he delivered you into my hands, or our people's hands 300 years ago, so shall he deliver us today. That's faith. And you know what? God can't wait 
to hear those kinds of words come out of his people's mouth. He's looking for the faithful people that say, I trust in your word, I trust in your hand. Though an enemy rises up against me, though there may be death, people may lose life, I trust that you are going to stand by your promise to my father Abraham and you'll deliver these people into my hand. Can't wait for that to come out of our mouths today. Though you quarrel against me, though you lay a siege against me through words, through whatever you guys face at work and whatever, you say, my God, he will wage war and he will deliver me and he will stand for me and I will be victorious over you today because I trust that my God will deliver me from the hands of the enemy that comes up against me in battle, whether it be through words of war, words that come up against you, whether it might be anything that you're... It could be a court lawsuit. It could be whatever. Texts that come against you. Your God's going to rise up in your defense. But be sure to invoke him into it. Don't leave him out. This man is invoking God into the situation. And God wants us to invoke him and remind him of the terms, the promises, his word. Ah, it's good stuff. This is what God wanted Moses to do. You people, Moses should have said, you people have grumbled. You people have complained against the God who was merciful to you. Moses should have really rose up and says, even though you don't deserve it, because he's a merciful God, I'm going to speak to this rock, and the God Almighty is going to cause water to flow out of it because he loves you. That's what he should have done. God wants us to walk in righteousness. He wants us to walk in truth and be humble before him. Yes. Yes, yeah, so to go back with what you just said there, uh, as you were saying this, I was reading again in Matthew twenty-two forty-four. Yahuwah said to my master, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies footstools of your feet. Praise the Almighty. But the king of the children of Ammon did not receive the words of Jephthah which he had sent to him. So the spirit of power from before Yahuwah rested on Jephthah. And he crossed over Gilead and Manasseh. And he crossed over Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he crossed over to the children of Ammon. I want to point out to you We're going to talk a minute about Ahab who wages war against the Syrians. 127,000 Syrians are killed by Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 20. Because of the arrogance of, ben, of King Ben-Hadad as well as Syria's general disrespect for God, Yahweh decides to deliver them over to Israel's notorious King Ahab, the worst king of Israel ever. The worst king of any king over the northern and southern kingdom. This is a terrible king who was completely corrupt. A completely corrupt government, a corrupt people. But God delivers the enemy over into this corrupt man and corrupt kingdom corrupt people's hand. The, the Israelites in a single day kill 100,000 Syrian footmen in a day. 
because God decides to deliver them over to Israel's notorious king Ahaz. Who decides? Who judges? We're going to talk about Ahab in a second, but going back to Jephthah. So Jephthah crosses over the children of Ammon to wage war against them. And Yahweh hands them over into his hand. They smote them from the Aror to the entrance of Mineth. Twenty cities are taken, and up to the plain of the vineyards, a very great slaughter. Twenty cities. Oh, God could have just taken the one. Why didn't they take the one? Wasn't it enough? Who decides? As, as Jephthah said, God decides in the battle. Hebrews 11.32 And what more shall I say from time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith... We're talking about faith because Moses had lacking of faith in striking the rock. Conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, and quenched the force of fire, and were rescued from the edge of the sword, and were healed of diseases, and became strong in battle, and routed the camps of enemies. Here's Ahab. First Kings 20. King Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, and his messengers tell King Ahab that all of the gold and silver of Samaria belong to him. I'm paraphrasing here. He also told Ahab that he would take his wives and children. Ahab refused his demands. Then Ben-Hadad and his army decided to attack the king of Samaria. 32 kings have joined Ben-Hadad. 32 kings. It's no small group of people. A prophet told Ahab that he was to attack first. So a prophet comes to Ahab, this ungodly, unrighteous guy. A prophet comes to him and says, You know what? God Almighty knows what this man has said to you. God knows that you're wicked. God knows you're corrupt. God knows you're undeserving of all of that. He knows all the people of the northern kingdom are corrupt. But God says that this man has come against my people, even in their corruption. And he said, I'm going to hand them over to your hand. <sighs> so he tells Ahab that he was to attack first. So he assembled an army of 7,000 men. And they set out to attack. Ben-Hadad and his men, when they were getting drunk in their tents, while the Israeli army was fighting the Arameans, Ben-Hadad escaped on horseback, and Israel's army overpowered him and his men. Many of the Arameans were killed in battle. 1 Kings 20, 29 says this, So they camped over against the other seven days, and on the seventh day the battle was joined, and the sons of Israel killed of the Arameans 100,000 foot soldiers in one day. The following spring, this happened at spring, at the time kings go to war, at the time of the turn of the, of the, uh, of the year, at the equinox. The following equinox, at Passover, the king of Aram once again rises up against Israel. 
God told the Israeli army that he would deliver the army again into their hands so that they would know that he was the Most High. The wicked people, he's going to show them, I am the Most High. That's why I'm saying I'm so glad that even in my wickedness, God showed me he is the King. Even when I didn't deserve his love, even when I didn't deserve the, the blood of the Lamb, he gives it to me. Are any of us deserving of it? Do any of us earned it? So he tells him once again, he's going to deliver them. God tells the Israeli army, I'm going to deliver them to your hands. The Israeli army inflicted thousands of casualties on their enemy in just a day. A wall in Athet collapsed on over 20,000 alone and killed them. Just a wall collapsing on 20,000 men, it wipes out 20 grand. Just, just from a wall collapsing. Who caused the wall to collapse? It surely wasn't the Israeli people. Ben-Hadad fled and went into hiding, and Ben-Hadad's official told him that they should go to Ahab and ask for mercy. So they went to see Ahab, and Ben-Hadad said that he would return all of the cities that his father had taken from Ahab's father. King of Ahab made a treaty with Ben-Hadad and then set him free. Now, there's a problem here. Ahab makes a big mistake. Anybody know what it is? Mike, tell us what, what Ahab's big mistake is. A big goof. Very much like a big goof that Moses does. He let him go. He let him go. And God says, why are you letting a man go that I devoted to destruction? We have to wrestle with these words. People say, oh, God doesn't really do that stuff. He, doesn't, he, he didn't collapse that wall on 20,000 people and kill them. God didn't do that. It was just it was a, a slight tremor in the earth, and the earth did it. God doesn't have any control over the earth. God couldn't have stopped that. who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, remind you of what it said over in the New Testament. The Torah, the proper portion, are about trustworthy and faithfulness. I have a dream to share with you today. My dream that I had this morning. I'm going to read this portion of 1 Kings 20 to you first. This is continuing on what Mike said the problem was with Ben Hadad. A certain man from the students of the prophets said to his friend, by the, by the word, by Yahweh's mouth, he comes to him and says, strike me in the face now. The man was not willing to strike him. And he said, and because you did not receive the memory of Yahuwah, behold, you will go from me and a lion is going to kill you. Then he went from him and a lion found him and killed him. Then he found another man and said, strike me in the face right now. The man struck him. Boom. 
and wounded him. Then the prophet went and waited for the king on the road. And he wrapped a bandage over his eye. And when the king Ahab passes by, he called out before the king and said, Your servant went out in the midst of the battle. And behold, there was a man turned aside and he brought me a man and said, Guard this man. If he in fact goes missing, it will be your life or for his life. Or you will pay a talent of silver. Then it came about while your servant was turning this way and that. Then behold, he was gone. And the king of Israel said to him, You judged your case and, and decreed it. You judged it, and you decreed it. Then he hurried and removed the bandage from his eye, and the king recognized that this was a student of the prophets. And he said to him, Thus says Yahuwah, Because you delivered the man liable to execution from the, from the hand, so shall your life be for his life, and your people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house, downcast and sad, so he came to Samaria. These are hard words. God had devoted the king to destruction. And Ahab, thinking he's merciful, lets him go. God says, mm -mm, wrong choice. I devoted that man to destruction because he came against my inheritance. Ahab should have sought counsel at least, at, at the utmost counsel before doing it. What, whatever he, he should have been seeking counsel. What am I supposed to do? Sought God. I want to read you something. I saved it. I was contemplating Jezebel this morning. And I want to show you what a Jezebel spirit is. A Jezebel spirit, we can read plainly, it is a disposition. This could be man or woman. We're talking a Jezebel spirit. A disposition or demonic influence that causes to create rifts in the assembly and in marriages through cunning, deception, and seduction. That's a Jezebel spirit. So I had a dream this morning, just before awakening. I'm going to tell you what the dream was. In the dream, I saw members of this congregation engaging in Lashon Hara. And I was puzzled in my dream. And I'll read to you what came to me as I was seeing it happening. The verse in Ezekiel 8.6 came to me. Son of man, he said, do you see what they are doing? Do you see the detestable things that the people of Israel are committing? And they think they're doing it in secret. If any of us think that the Most High cannot read your mail and tell it to someone else, you've got another thing coming. Just as we're learning today about faith, in doing what we're supposed to do, 
and not getting involved in what politics, uh, whatever it is, words are being, someone's saying words, you better think real quick about Korah and you better back away. Better just start backing up. Get away from it. Because this isn't good and God's not pleased with it. If he's not pleased with another nation rising up against his people, would he be pleased in you rising up against his people? No, he would not. He would not like you to rise up against his people and commit war with your words. And I want to tell you, in light of the red heifer, I'm only telling you because I had the dream. And I, Polly can attest, I hardly ever remember. I have dreams, but I hardly ever remember it. I mean, it's like maybe three a year. <laughs> I don't know why I don't remember them, but this one was pretty clear. And it was short. It wasn't any long, elaborate thing. It was like, I saw the Lashonara, and this scripture came to me, and it was like, I'm not happy. I want to say that in the midst of our community, we have to remember that God has brought the living words of Yeshua, the living word, the Lamb of God, to cleanse, to purify. Because as Tammy and Bob pointed out, Lashon Hara is a defilement of death because you're causing death on someone else with your word. And we need the living water. We need the, the ashes of the red heifer. We need the Messiah, the one who died that takes away the death sentence of the Lashon Hurrah away from the community so that they are cleansed and prepared and ready to cross over into the land because we're his inheritance. But we must be clean. We must be cleansed of the defilement that comes from the lips. And so the word to our community today is if you hear it in your ear and this is telling you something oh God doesn't really hear he doesn't know what's going on he doesn't see this oh he does because he gives me a dream about it and I'm like father why would you give me that? is this really yes it's happening I'm giving it to you for a reason speak it I wrestled with even sharing it with you today and every time I wrestled I'm getting the push do it. Do it. Do it. Tell them. Tell my people. Tell my people. Tell my people. I'm not here today telling you, thus says the Lord. I'm telling you, I had a dream, and if the shoe fits, then it's for you. God Almighty knows. And the caution is, don't be a part of it. Don't be a part of it. We have a few hands up, yes. So Mark, um, so it is confirmation because I was on YouTube this morning. I can hardly hear you. I said it is a confirmation because this morning I was on YouTube and I was listening to the pastor at Camp um, Morris at Gateway and he was preaching about the Jezebel spirit. Ooh. And he went to Revelations, uh, I believe it is 2.22, 
and he was speaking to the church of Tarareth. I'm not good with the name. Yeah. And he said, um, he gave them the things that he was pleased with them, but he told them that they needed to repent because they had allowed the spirit of Jezebel mm. to reign in the community. And he went on to talk about how that spirit, when you're up against it, the things that you will experience. One would be fear. Two will be um, depression. Three will be um, like you want to die. Uh, four, you will feel like um, he went on to say all these different things and knowing but he said in order to take authority over it, you had to first repent because you tolerated it. And um, I just wanted to tell you, Mark, I started praying for you because he said that spirit will come for the leaders. And that we as a congregation, if we have tolerated that spirit, we have to repent. Yep. And that um, one of the things is immorality. And he was saying that as a uh, minister, he started having dreams that he was having sex in his dreams and that he was being tempted more and more by this spirit. And that is one of the symptoms. And um, the first thing first is that spirit of fear will come to you to get you to back off and to not take authority over it. <laughs> well said. Thank you. Is it, is it just coincidence that that man has been given the same thing that I'm giving? Do you think it's only one or two congregations? Do you think that it's happening all over God's assemblies? It's not unique. This isn't a unique thing. It's just a person or two or an assembly or two. The adversary wants to do this everywhere God's people are gathering. But we have to guard against it. We have to stop it. We have to back away and say, if you want to go down that road, go by yourself. But I'm not joining with you in that heresy. I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm not going to kill my brother with words, and I'm not going to join with you in the destruction of my brother. Not going to happen. Back away. Otherwise, you'll find yourself in the same opening up and swallowing as the person that's going to continue and not repent. Yes. I'm going to deviate a little bit. Make sure you speak loud enough for me to hear. Okay. You were saying something before the Jezebel spirit and um, Gwen's comment, and it's about purification and sanctification, okay, which we've been seeing throughout all of these, all of these things. So I was thinking about what this purification and sanctification <laughs> entails, like what truly is the process of purification and sanctification. So one word came to my mind, and that word is death. You have to die to yourself in order to be saved. But there's a self-righteous death, as was in Bar 20, or there's a righteous death. So in, so in chapter 19, it talked about 
everything that was uncovered that died had to be cleansed. So when we die, are we dying under a covering or not? Because if we're not dying under a covering, we are going to have to choose to be cleansed. And so this, to me, which is even more powerful than the Jezebel spirit, is the spirit of rebellion, which in a reet is morah, which we just got done talking about it, have to do with bitterness, stagnancy. Yep. yep. Not happy with where waters. you're at. Yeah. Not happy with where you're at. And also not trusting yeah. in the word. Yep. Not allowing the word to be consecrated in your life. You choosing to be the head of your own life instead of instead of wanting to be under a head. So as I'm thinking in this passages that we've read, all of them, including this last one with Ahab, that in each example, each story, except for the Brit portion, there's a problem with people trusting Yahuwah as the head. That's right. And trusting his word. Yeah. But he praised Yah. That's why he had to cut covenant with himself. He didn't even cut it with Abraham because he is trustworthy and faithful with his own word. Because as he's getting ready to prepare the people to bring them into a covenant with him, all you're seeing and hearing is rebellion. And the rebellion that is in this world today, the rebellion that is in this place today, it, it is stark. It's going to cut. And nobody is ready for it. The first sin in the garden was rebellion. They rebelled against the word. He said, if you eat of this tree, and they still chose to do their own thing, to be rebellious. And he says to Shema, he says, sacrifice and burn offerings without truth, without righteousness, he doesn't desire, he says, but to heed, to heed, to hear, to do, to obey. That is the important thing. Ahab, he didn't obey. Right. Moshe, Moshe did not obey. He said, speak to the rock. That's right. He struck it, not once, twice. That's rebellion. Yep. He did not obey. And he says, you did not consecrate and sanctify my word. That is what he told them. He did not. And, and in that chapter, we see Miriam dying in the beginning. And, and her name has something to do with rebellion, too. Yes, I like what Paul said. Yes, she led them. They're the waters. The waters are for cleansing. Because when salt, as Polly was saying, is in the water. 
You ever put salt on a womb? They say, go in the ocean and heal. I was raised on an island. They heal it. It stings, but it will cleanse if you allow it to. So let me ask you a question. If, if as a community, if we do not trust in the, the leadership that he's put in place, if we do not trust in the work he's doing in each life, are we failing to sanctify his name? Could be. And if the leader is not sanctifying his name, that's a whole different story. Because once again, Moshe was sanctifying his name. Amen. And so in that same chapter, Numbers 20, he says, Aaron, you're going to die today because you did not sanctify my that's name right. in that's front right. of the people. Yeah. So leadership is a very hard thing. Yep. And so like Gwen says, yes, it's important to pray for the leaders because Amen. they are flesh and blood too. Yes, indeed. And the only person that was truly sanctified and put rebellion and death, rebellion under his feet was the Mashiach. Yep. He's the only person who did that 100% to the T. Amen. And so we should be like him. Should be strive yes. to be by him, yes. like him. We yes. can't be like him, right. but just ask continually for his blood to cover us. Because as I too was looking and reading all these things, I realized every day we have to choose to be purified yes. and sanctified. Yes. It's not a one safe all save i'm sorry if it's gonna bite some people but every day because like we said in that same chapter numbers 20 aaron had to go but the father i have unclean lips sanctify these lips yes. so that the Sancti words coming out are not yes. bringing forth death but bringing forth life and sanctify me in truth yes because as the psalmist says make me to know truth in my inward parts amen if you're not walking in truth we're walking and everything butted and it's going to get us in trouble. Amen. And it's no joke to play around. That's right. And there's a lot of jokes and there's yep. a lot of playing around. Amen. Amen. And it's not healthy and it's not right. So may we all continue to pray and work out our salvation. That's right. With fear and trembling Amen. like Amen. never before. Amen. And because the times are coming. The times <laughs> are coming. Yeah. Well said. Gary. I just wanted to share something along these lines. Uh, years ago, when we were, uh, uh, we were B'nai Avraham, um, I got upset with some of the leadership and uh, started rumbling. And after a while, I, got, I had all the emails for everyone in the community, and I sent an email out to the community saying, we needed to vote in new leadership. I was attacking creating division and all and i've told mark this and he always laughs but i said seven levels of hell came against me <laughs> because wait wait say it again seven levels of hell came against me <laughs> i i really got it and and i knew that the father was upset with me for creating division and i repented for it right so be careful. Just be, don't go against leadership. The father is fully capable. If there's a bad leader, you know, he can deal with that. You don't have to be the one because he will come against you for creating division. Amen. 
And yes, I can affirm that that's what he said, because every time he says that, I do laugh. Because I've never heard seven levels of hell before. It's so funny. So I'm going to say this in confirmation to what everybody has said, because I got up early this morning, too, and the Father was dealing with me, and he led me to Isaiah 9, Zephaniah 3, 1 Corinthians 6, Jeremiah 40, and Luke 19, 46. I suggest we all read that. I'm not going to read it for you. You got to read it for yourself. But he not playing. Nope. All of those are confirmations to what's been said today, and... Honestly, I wasn't going to come here, but I had to be obedient to God to tell y'all that. So Amen. That, that's my Thank confirmation, you. and he looking at it. Thank you for sharing. And you know, so I'll say, before we go here, I'll say that, why is God telling us this? Why did I get the dream? Because he loves you and he cares. He wants to keep you from seven levels of hell. <laughs> okay? He wants to keep disaster and destruction from coming your way. Much is required of us because we have been given understanding of his nature and character. And so it's very weighty and heavy, yes. So looking at this assembly, which I've been, you you all are my mishpah, and I love you all. And you're all getting these confirmations because we're all getting these confirmations because the time's at hand. Yes. The time is short. Yes, indeed. The Lord's moving through the assemblies, and he's trying to get us a chad. If we're not a chad, what (laughs) are we? That's right. We're weak. We're going to be devoured. So let's become a chad with one another. Let's rely on one another. Let's edify one another with love and not pull out our sword and slay each other. Amen, brother. Because the tongue is the sword. (laughs) So love. Love is greatest. Of all things. Hallelujah. Yes. Last one, and then we're going to close. To add on the whole quarreling thing, you know the group back then quarreling about little insignificant things. It's happening today as well. It may not be about food, may not be about water or shelter, but it's about insignificant stuff bickering for the lack of a better word and it's not important like why are you arguing about stuff that is basically the void nothing it's it's just i i I can't say anymore it's like why (laughs) one more lisa I just want to close with this real quickly. Um, the father hates the man that sows discord among the brethren. Yes. But in Matthew 5, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Amen to that. Hallelujah. May we be an assembly of peacemakers. Will you, or did you have something to say? Will you stand with me? Maybe Abba chose today about the red heifer and the cleansing of the red heifer to talk to us about Lashon Hara and gave me the dream because of the portion that was before us. Maybe he gave me the dream because it's about, like it said, the people were quarreling in the assembly. And it was about this quarreling that was going on. I love what you said. 
100% is my heart, and I love this assembly. And I enjoy serving. I enjoy this, the, the love that's here. We're getting a, a reminder from the Most High to watch our lips. And as our brother said, let's exhort, let's edify, and let's lift each other up in love and unity. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the examples that you show us in your word. We thank you, Father, that you are living word that is live. And, and, and Father, you know exactly what's happening. As a gentle father, you correct gently. Father, you're not calling out names and, and pulling out people in front of the assembly. You're giving general things to help us to correct the issues that we have so that we don't get pulled out, so that we don't have seven levels of hell come against us, so that we don't have destruction, so that we don't have spankings that are beyond imagination. Father, thank you for caring for us, that you would give us these words of correction, these words that are gentle, that bring us to our mind and remembrance that there's things that we need to change, things we need to correct in our behavior and our words. Father, we thank you because that shows that you are alive and well in this community and in our lives and you care. And for that, I am thankful. I glorify you and I praise you, mighty one of Israel. Thank you for these words and the examples. May we learn these lessons. May we take them home. And, and as Ashanti says, may it just not something we hear and don't apply. May we apply it and make the corrections. And I want to say, Father, right now, may we all here just take a minute. Can we all come before the Most High? Everyone online and everyone here, let's take a moment and let's ask for forgiveness. Father, we come to you and we ask, all of us here, Father, that you would forgive us not only of our sins and iniquities and transgressions, but Father, forgive us of any Lashon Hurrah that we have done against our brotherhood here or against anyone else. And Father, may we see that we need to correct those things in our lives and may it never come forth from our lips again. We glorify you and praise you. May you be exalted. And we thank you for your correction, for your, for your uh, forgiveness. We thank you, Father, for aligning us back up. As we may have, may have stumbled a little bit to the right or left, you're aligning us back to the, to the straight and narrow path. We glorify you and praise you for these words today. In your son Yahushua's name we give thanks. Amen. Can we sing the Avinu, please? Avinu
to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel, and shall say to them, May Yahuwah bless you and keep you. May Yahuwah make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May Yahuwah lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. Shalom. Amen. Now we can say the bracha and the hamotzi. Heavenly Father, you are Heavenly Father, you created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh day you rested and refreshed yourself from all the work which you created to do. You hallowed the seventh day, calling it a delight, the most desirable day, a reminder of the act of creation. Blessed are you, Yahuwah, who sanctifies the Shabbat. Amen. Baruch atah Yahuwah Elohim melkalam borei pariha gafen. Amen. Blessed are you, Yahuwah, our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the divine, L'chaim. And now, the Hamotzi. Baruch atah Yahuwah Eloheinu melech olam Hamotzi lechem in haaretz Amen. Blessed are you, Yahuwah, God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth and reminds us that Yahushua is the word of God and the bread of life. Amen, amen. Mark, real quick. Now, oh, before the live stream ends, um, Ward wants to announce that we are having a Tuesday night Torah at 7 o'clock and that you'll send out the Zoom link. A Tuesday night Torah at 7 o'clock on Tuesday before we close the Zoom, yes, that I will be hosting. Uh, it won't be here. It'll be on your computers at home. So we'll look forward to seeing you Tuesday. Now we get to say Shabbat Shalom! Thank you all here. Have a blessed rest of your Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom.